Hello and welcome to Never Press News, the podcast which will give you an insight into the lives and minds of the most motivated and inspirational people I have the pleasure of knowing. I'm Tony Musgrave and this is Never Press News. Season 3, Episode 8. Today I've got a really exciting guest from, uh, for you all. I've got a world record breaker, psychology expert, former army commando, best-selling author, Mike Llewellyn. Welcome to the podcast. I hope I've um, pronounced that right, mate. You pronounced it bang on, Tony. Well done, mate. Bang on. Well, the double L, I assumed, was... Um, I'm not very good at the rolling of my tongue, really, so... Um, I'll well, just... I your wife told me something different. <laughs> okay, well, now we've started the podcast, <laughs> how it's going to... How it's going to go on. Um, Mark, welcome to the podcast, mate. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, I, I heard about you a little while ago, mate, and I've been following you on the, uh, on the socials for some time. Um, you are the author of a number of books, but the one I read recently was uh, one of your latest one, Man the Fuck Up. Uh, law bought it me as a Christmas present. And um, <laughs> how can I describe this book? book is pretty raw um straight to the point i think the back of the book says no bullshit <laughs> um that's pretty much where i where i fell with this book mate um so firstly congratulations on releasing a number of best-selling books um including this one um that is really straight to the point it is straight to the point. I just uh, I thought when I brought this book out, some of my, my other books were a bit fluffier, like the normal personal development self-help books. But this one is uh, a bit more raw. Um, and it's it's really more relevant, I suppose, for people that are got a bit of a th- thicker skin. And, you know, I mean, especially people like forces people or, you know, scaffolders or people that work on even or or nurses do you know what i mean people that are in tough situations you know paramedics it's just like well you know this is this is it this is life and there's 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 a lot of stuff in there about um death and struggles and um yes it doesn't pull its punches at all yeah really really interesting take on it i mean you mentioned there that it's it's a far cry from the bookshelf um, that I see, it, well, I haven't seen it for years, but um, that you would imagine in Waterstones with your, your self-development books on. And, and even the title, you know, Man the Fuck Up, gets straight to the point. Um, I don't think this is everybody's cup of tea. I said that to you in the uh, when we were pre-recording. Some people are yeah. going to avoid this book uh, based on the title alone. And uh, <laughs> I would, I would probably say I'm... I'm reasonably thick-skinned, but when I ordered, when my sister-in-law ordered it for me, I was wondering what was going to be inside it. I'll be completely honest. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, you know, like you say. I suppose it's not for everyone, but it, I mean, it's it's just real life stuff. But it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic reviews and things like that. But uh, so it's got into the hands of the right people, like you say. Some people will be like, oh, you know, I'll. I'll just have a, pick up a book called. I'm not even going to say a name of a book because I guarantee it's an author, and I'll <laughs> they'll think I'm slagging their book off. But 
you know, we have all of the normal stuff, and uh, which is fine as well. I've got books out like that, you know, that are nice. Like I got my happy book out and the underdog and get back up, and you know, they're, they're, they're nice little titles and stuff. But uh, yeah, this one's a bit more harsh. Yeah, it certainly was. Well, listen, I mentioned there, mate, there's a number of accolades that you've got. Endurance record holder, uh, former Army commando, uh, and and uh, alongside that, a best-selling author. But I want to dig into a little bit about your military career, mate. I know you was in the uh, Royal Artillery from 1990 through to 1998. So just give us a little mm. spin on that and let everyone know um, a bit about your background. Yeah, well, I, uh, I came out of school, 16. I didn't know what to do. And um, I was initially thinking, shall I join the RAF? And uh, a lot of my friends were joining the army. So I thought, oh, I'll just join the army. And uh, went into the artillery and really just needed a job. You know, I know a lot of people out there are like, oh, you know, I was being passionate about wanting to join the army, which is totally fine. But I just, uh, I, I felt quite, worthless i think my my self-esteem was quite low when i got out you know I was, I was fairly confident as a child but going into the big world i was like you know am i gonna maybe, maybe i could be a mechanic or i don't think i'm clever enough to be a mechanic or you know i was talking myself out of all these other things and i just thought oh well you know at least i can get in the army at least i can get a job so yeah and uh <laughs> the army will take me so got in the army uh, spent a year in junior leaders, Royal Artillery, you know, the normal bullshit you know, stuff in basic training. And then, uh, yeah, so I failed my basic army fitness test, got voted fattest person in the troop. And, um, you know, towards the end of the year, my sergeant major was, what reg regiment do you want to go into, Llewellyn? I said, I want to go 2-9 commando because I could see that these were the kind of, they were the toughest sort of guys. You know, you would see people, there's one person, Eddie Reed, uh, who was a 2-9 commando running around camp. He was a sergeant instructor. Uh, there was another guy um, from uh, uh, 7RHA, the sort of parasite of the artillery, and he'd done P Company and stuff. And you knew that these guys had taken it another level up, and that's where I wanted to be. So that's why I went for the commando course. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's one of those things. I, I'm just, as you were saying that, I was just reminiscing about the, the similar people that I had going through basic training that were running around in a, you know, in a green or a maroon uh, beret, and they were, um, they kind of stood out a little bit more, didn't they? And it, it gave you a little bit more drive to to go and join them. Um, you, yeah, it weren't that straightforward though becoming a commando for you, from what um, from what I read. There was a um, a bit. The irony of what you've done since then, um, in terms I know. of those insurance <laughs> records, but, but at that time, um, there was a couple of failures um, through fitness and injury. What happened there, mate? Yeah, well, I, I mean, by the end of, obviously, I, I like I said, I failed the, the basic army fitness test, that was just the one and a half mile. By the end of the year, I just kept on training while the other person in my troop weren't. So by the end of the year, I became the fittest in the troop. Um, well, I wouldn't say the fittest in the troop. I mean, it was the fastest on the BFT, the basic fitness test. Um, and then I was about sixth uh, place out of the whole battery. Um, so it was about, out of about 120 people. And I just thought, oh, I'm pretty fit now. And then I went down to Plymouth to do the commando 
beat-up course, the pre-beat-up before you go to Limston. And uh, I realised that I wasn't very fit <laughs> compared to me. It was just a different level altogether. It was shocking. Um, and, uh, yeah, went for the first... Uh, on the first beat-up, the sergeant just said, look, you're not fit enough to go on to the uh, All-Arms Commando course because I, I can't remember what it was, eight or ten weeks, can't remember... He said, you're going to have to stay back and, and do another course or you're going to have to just go to a, a normal army unit. And um, and I just said, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going to keep on going until I make it. And uh, he said, OK, so start on the next course. Then I got a, a blister and I got an infection in the blister and had this thing tracking uh, up my leg. And um, for, thank God for antibiotics because uh, people used to die of it um, years ago. And... Uh, so I couldn't go on the, the commando course because of that, the second time on the beat-up. And then the third beat-up, he just said, like the sergeant said, Llewellyn, you're borderline, but, you know, you might as well go for it. And I, so I went for it. And then I passed the, the Limston phase first time, but I was hanging out my ass, to be honest. Um, <laughs> my, and it was it was my endurance was so bad. I say it was bad. I mean, I say it was... It was bad compared to some of the other guys, you know, in that unit. But it was it was fantastic compared to the average civilian. But I was so poor at endurance. The endurance stuff really, I find that very difficult. More difficult than any of the other tests. The upper body, I was fine, everything, you know. So, yeah. Then I passed and went to seven battery. Went up to uh, Scotland. Yeah. There's a so is that where is that is that our broth is it Scotland? Yeah, yeah, our broth. So we got a we got a, little, a battery up there, and it, we, we were based up there with four or five commando Royal Marines, and we had our own little hangar, and um, yeah, that was it. We just we we sort of do our own thing most of the time, and then we go on exercise. Sometimes we go along with the. The, the Marines, and sometimes we go just go to like Otterburn firing the 105 artillery guns, uh, places like that, or Cyprus, or Belize, or wherever, or Sardinia, or wherever it may be, really. Yeah, I think the, the, the period that you was in was, was one that wasn't by the looks of it and happy to be challenged. The, the most, um, the busiest period for, for the forces, both. No, I mean for me it was it, it was fantastic because I had no interest in I had no interest in that. I think I would have been more suited to something like the physical training corps. Yeah, um, I wasn't really it didn't uh, I wasn't really excited about. I was a good shot and everything. I was the top in my junior leaders, top shot marksman, and all that. But I wasn't really that interested in the whole war stuff, and there was. Even by that time, I thought to myself, I, I would question authority too much as well. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And, you know, so it was like, I, I just didn't, you know, I know it's controversial to some people, but, but and, and some people do agree with everything the prime minister says, but I might not. So, I, you know, so um, certain wars, I'm just glad I wasn't a part of because... I didn't see them as of any use, to be honest. Yeah, it, it kind of, it was picking up at that time, wasn't it? With Bosnia on the, you know, Bosnia yeah. and Kosovo on the horizon and then Gulf, Afghanistan. And by the time you leave 98, you know, the next 10 years 
from 98 to 2008 and, and maybe a little is a, a crazy period for um, buff commandos. And, yeah. Because um, they were both used quite extensively in, in the implementation programs. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was, it's, it's a bit of a difficult one when people go to wars like that. Obviously, people talk about the World War II heroes and stuff. And it's just, it's just a different kettle of fish when someone's about to invade your country. But, you know, the whole weapons of mass destruction and all that, it was... So I think it was quite difficult for some people. And, um, you know, I, I used to talk to some of the lads in, still in, going through the both the Afghan and Iraq. And I was like, what do you think about that that stuff? And he goes, oh, I just, I just do what they tell me to do. And which is fine, you know, but I mean, that's really why... I, I I liked a lot of the what I admired. There were some tough people in the army, and I admired the mental strength and the mental toughness, and I admired the very fit people as well. But really, I think the people that I admired the most generally were people like entrepreneurs who were really were masters of their own ship. Do you know what I mean? They were they would. So when I left the army, I was like. Um, I, I I loved it. I was like Braveheart and I wanted to shout freedom as soon as I got outside the gates because I, I thought this is a whole new world for me and um, just where I'm more in control. And I know some people don't want that. They want people to be in charge of them, which is fine. You know, everyone's got their own uh, own thing in life. But I, I, I kind of, I love waking up when I want to wake up. I love making more money than when I was in the forces. And uh, and I love the, the, the time, for example, that I get to spend with my son. So, you know, and it's not it's not being disrespectful to anyone in the forces. It's just everyone wants to w live their own life. And if that's the life you want to live, then that's it's fantastic, you know. But and, and there's a lot of brilliant things in the forces um, and a lot of brilliant guys. And I've got, still got a lot of brilliant friends. But... Um, not really for me in the long term now. Yeah, well, similar to yourself, I, I probably did a couple couple of extra years on top of what you did. And, um, yeah, I think that I love that point you make there about the freedom when you leave. And, you know, oh, the, I love the, it. There was some, <laughs> there was certainly some, um, some comparison made at the time when I was in about trying to, what will it be like when I get out? I'll be able to do what I want. I suppose, in some ways I can and in other ways, you know, I'm not my own boss, which I, you know, I have a great job that I love, but I'm not my own boss. So I haven't leveled that much freedom that you talk about. So when yeah. you walked out those gates that day and you said, like Mel Braveheart, I'm free now, you know, <laughs> what, what, what was freedom to you? What, what was it? You know, there's clearly a list of things you've gone on to do. Um, so what what was on the list straight away like, and how did you formulate a plan to start achieving the things that you wanted to do? Yeah, I just really wanted to do the, the take things to the next level because I realised as great as and the the forces was in many ways, and I was very fortunate to be lucky uh, part of two nine commando because it's just a fantastic unit, three commando brigade, and and you know the forces in general, a lot of really great guys. But there's a lot of dicks in there as well, you know. So 
you know, which, which normally isn't said much. Oh, you can't say that. Everyone's a hero. But, you know, it, behind the scenes, you know, there can be a, a lot of um, people higher ranks than you. And, and you're always going to have to be told what to do. Uh, and so when, when I got out, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I went on a personal fitness trainers course. I took a job as a bodyguard in uh, Park Lane in London straight after that. But even that, you know, I did that for about three weeks. And then the boss, he was great with me initially. And then he was very disrespectful towards me and a few other people. And then I just, you know, told him to where to go with the job and just walked off. And again, I mean, I even loved doing that. And then that's when I went into the personal fitness training. Um, and that was the first time I kind of started to become my own boss and uh, of course, later on now with the author stuff, and uh, you know, I I love it. I just love this the lifestyle. So with the goals, going back to your question about the goals, I wanted to take my fitness to the next level. And um, the great thing about n not being in the forces, really, with the fitness is you have m you have more time to train because as really super fit as the guys in 2-9 were, there would be times when you're on exercise and you'd be in the brisket browns or whatever it is and you couldn't do your daily runs. Or So I'm the sort of person that would lose a lot of fitness. Some people are naturally super fit. They hold on to their fitness, whereas I don't. I, I really have to train all the time. Um, so... Yeah, I just set goals for ultra distance running and stuff after that. Well, let's let's dig into some of them because I've got a list here in front of me. Break the 100-kilometer treadmill world record. You placed first in the Strava Distance Challenge in 2015, competing against 51,000 other runners. You placed first in the Strava Distance Challenge in 2014, the year before with 40,000 runners. You run and walk 70 miles on your 40th birthday. The list goes on. Marathon de Sables. Wow. I mean... What else? Oh, and, and then the next one is run 16, uh, 1,600 miles in the United States whilst carrying a 35-pound rucksack. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the sort of thing you could do. Um, you know, I couldn't just turn around to in, in the forces and say, look, I'm I'm off for two months to America or I'm, I'm on this uh, Strava challenge and uh, don't 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 ask me to come down to turn into work because you just can't do that. You see, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't. So well, my friend says yeah. to me that he was the, the fastest alcoholic. Um, and that's pretty much what I regard most of the lads I joined the army with when they're fueled on bad food, booze, but they can run pretty fast, uh, pretty fast. I'm not sure how healthy any of us were. But we could certainly shift a little bit, even after a night on the sauce. So, um, but yeah, yeah, especially people in the elite units. There's really, you know, the powers, the commandos, the, and the SAS, SBS, all those sort of lads are just, you know, you'll see some of them, the old school, like with a fag in their mouth and they're doing this um, yomp or tab, you know, with over miles and miles. And it's just like, it's, some people have just got that, you know. But then again, if they didn't smoke and drink, and they'd be even fitter. Well, that's, yeah, so. I mean, that's how we, we were chatting about something the other week, a few of us. We used to do this 40-mile race every year 
um, and it was down in Brecon and um, we'd do, you know, you'd run over Brecon and with a 40 pound pack and it was a team event and we were saying how, how fit the lads were when they used to do that um, and then we was laughing yeah. saying that we'd fueled it on bad army food, you know what that crap's like out of them uh, cookhouses and the, um, the mess halls, like there's some shit food mm-hmm. going on and packed lunches that are made up with a sausage roll and a bag of crisps and still managing to fuel, you know, some of this. So if somebody had to give us some nutritional advice at the time and a little bit of time spent stretching and doing a bit um, a bit of uh, well-being that goes alongside it, I think there'd have been some absolutely amazing guys in there. Yeah, yeah, probably. But then again, I, I'm not sure how many of us would have listened to them. You know, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 20s, you're just like, yeah, yeah, just get out and get steaming. And yeah, it's what you do when you're young, don't you? Yeah, exactly. I don't think you're right. I don't think I took any notice of what they're saying. So going, going on <laughs> yeah. to these endurance events, mate, these are, these are not little things. Like These are big deals. So how do you set yourself up to prepare for things that are some people would regard this stuff as impossible um yeah and maybe that's that's the start of it but how do you get prepped not just physically but mentally for these types of events well not too long after i came out of the army i was reading about a guy called ray mousey and um he was doing a 200 mile run over 10 days in death valley and he was in the Daily Mail and a load of the national newspapers. And I, God, he must have been in his early 50s or something like that, I guess. And um, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. This is fantastic, you know. And then I uh, I got in touch with him and I sent him a check for us, uh, to support his charity. And I said, have you got a, a support driver? Because he, he wasn't carrying his kit or nothing. He, was, he had a support driver in an RV, uh, like a camper van thing. And... Um, he said, no. So I said, I'll pay for all my stuff and I'll go over there because I, I like to get close to people that are achieving lots of things and see what the score is and how awesome they are and stuff. And in many ways he was. And But at the same time, you get close to certain people that are, achieve uh, things, great things in their life. And you start to think, I reckon I can do that. And that's exactly what happened when I was around him. And, you know, he was like, Sometimes Ray, you know, he's a great guy, but he, sometimes he would complain. I just thought you couldn't even you couldn't do that in two nine commando. You couldn't complain. Right. People would be like, "I'm a wanker staff. Help me! I can't do it. I'm, I'm pathetic." And and that's just the mentality of it. And so it was quite shocking to me to to see that, you know. And um, and then I just thought to myself, as I met other good runners, I just thought maybe not maybe not at the time, but I did think. In, in two, three, four years, I think I could beat you. And that's what I started to think. And uh, and then I just started to take it up different levels. So that obviously the Sahara, well, the Sahara was the first one. And and then, um, and then I just took it up from there, you know, just built it up, built it up. And it's like you get to the top of one peak and then you there's another peak, isn't there? Yeah, I think the, the, it, it sounds like the beating... Ray and working with him is 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 that to normalize what they're doing because you know even the phrase I use some of these to people will look impossible and is that what spending time with him did then it just normalized it to a point where it was then not 
as unachievable as it once looked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, certainly was with him, and it will be with a lot of people. Um, and then the next year, I did the run in Amer America, the sixteen hundred mile run. And after, well, that was ninety. That was nineteen ninety eight with him in Death Valley. Ninety nine, I was in the Sahara, and then. But I wanted to design my own thing. I was more, again, I was more interested in doing my own thing than I was an organized event. So that's when I. Uh, drew out on got the map and drew out the 1600 mile run and um it it does normalize it to an extent w with certain people but i think at the same time for example if you if you're talking about ken and isa bekele the 5000 meter world record holder and and the 10000 meter world record holder and then you got Eliud kipchoge who just went under two hours for the marathon, even if you're around people like that, <laughs> you're not going to actually think, one day I'm going to beat you. So, you know, it, it all depends. It, it all depends, really. But it can be often be the case. But with things like the Kenyans and the Ethiopians and certain people, is um, genetically they're just phenomenal. You know, they they're phenomenal from the very start. They weigh about nine stone as well. So you wouldn't want Mo Farah to be your local nightclub bouncer, you know, because do you know what I mean? So it's horses for courses, really. So No, that's a fair point. I think, yeah, there is a, there's an elite level, isn't there? That and, and Someone was talking about very similar, you know, about all this stuff about having a growth mindset. And, you know, if you have this growth mindset, you can achieve – you know, whatever you want if you put your mind to it. I'm not mm. falling for all of that because I think... I, uh, yeah, I agree. Because you've just given a perfect example there that no matter how hard I train, even if I never go no. to work again, I'm not being Kipchoge. It's as simple as that. I can remember a friend in 2.9 said to me, and he was very fast at short distance runs, like three miles and six miles. And he said to me, uh, Taff, they used to call me. Taff, do you know what? I reckon uh, I could stop training for the next uh, three to six months and you could carry on training and I reckon I'd still beat you in a run in, the, in that distance. And he was probably right. <laughs> you know, he just had yeah. it. Genetically, he was very, very quick. Um, so, yeah, I'm not... Uh, I've said in one of my books before that, you know... <laughs> You know, people who say you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Well, there's there's levels, and and there is a lot of luck. And I've come across quite a few successful people. I've spent a lot of my time uh, looking at interviews of extremely successful people, and you know, some of them will, a lot of them will say it, it is luck. But there's it's it's a cross between luck and putting in the the hard work as well. So. You know, if you're born in Ethiopia, you're not going to have the opportunities that some other people are. I mean, for example, if you just say, who can I think of a same? Say, say, for example, Angelina Jolie, her father is John Voigt. You know, he's already a successful actor. I mean, Nicolas Cage, his, his uncle is Francis Ford Coppola. You know, so when you're in that circle already, 
you know, there's a much greater chance you're going to be successful. Will Smith's children, you know, David Beckham's um, son now has become a, a model and he's on GQ or something. Someone was saying the other day, would he have become a model if, or, you know, if he wasn't David Beckham's son? son? I don't know. There's a lot of handsome people out there. Would he have been a model if he was born in the um, the outer reaches of Mongolia? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, and is that is that the is that the look you're describing? So you're you, you kind of got to be in the place at the right time. Is that you? You have to be with certain things. You have to put yourself out there because if you don't put yourself out there, you'll never be in the right place. But at the same time. Certain people are born into things. Now, I, I'm talking about extremes of like fame and success and stuff. But even us as British people, um, what we've been born into is absolutely unbelievable. We live in what we were just born into one of the richest countries in the world. And, you know, if you're born into Sudan and you're going to the well every day, it's it's a much harder thing to do to become a successful author or, a, or, you know, or a movie star or whatever it is people want to do or an entrepreneur. It just is, you know? Yeah. You say, I'm trying to figure out what, are you saying that we should be, you know, you're, you're grateful for that opportunity? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think about it a lot, how lucky we are to live in the UK. We're so lucky to be born into this country. And, um, you know, people, I just don't really have much time for people to complain all the time. <laughs> just, and that's another thing. If you want to be um, achieve great things, then you really got to get yourself around the right people. And I was very good at disassociating my pe myself from people that, you know, always try to tear me down or like, oh, you know, you you'll never do this or you never do that. and But you use that for fuel as well as the same time. So in a sense, it can help. Well, give me, um, let's, let's talk about that then next. Let's give me some examples of that because I think we can get into the habits of negative self-talk. But you, what it sounds yes. like you're talking about there is, the, is removing the external negativity. <laughs> Yes, yes, I think, you know, I, I, I very rarely buy a paper. It's very, very rare. Um, same with TV. I don't really watch much, well, not TV, it's news. You know, I don't watch a lot of news. And the Brexit thing, for example, they've been banging on about that for three, four years. And I'm just grateful I've never watched anything on it because... Nothing's changed. And I, I just thought when the, when the start of that thing happened, I thought we, Britain, British people, we were fine before we were in Europe. We were, we're fine when we're in Europe. We're going to be fine whether we're in Europe or out of Europe. It doesn't make any difference. What makes a difference is what are you going to do? What is the individual going to do that makes the difference? You know? So, so why do you choose to not expose? yourself to this to these forms of news or these forms of information what 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 benefit does that have well it, it helps me focus on the things that i want to do myself 
Um, you know, just I, I just feel that it is a waste of time because you become a complainer then, don't you? And if you're complaining about things all the time, then it's just, uh, it's difficult to be happy. You could, st I still know people that are earn a lot of money, very, very successful, that complain too much. And even the money hasn't taken away their complaints. They're still complaining when they're earning six, seven figure incomes. And I'm just like, why are you bitching about something that is really not a big deal? You know, it, and this is the thing with the man, the fuck up book is like, I say at the very start of that, everything in life isn't just a case of, oh, man, the fuck up. Because, you know, I'm, I get hurt, you know, emotionally. I mean, you know, when people's, you know, flipping parents die or some tragic thing happens and, you know, and, and I'm not making light of any of that sort of stuff because there will be a time when we'll be hit for six. And that's the first chapter of that book. It says it doesn't matter how tough you are, how tough you think you are, life will smash you to pieces and you'll be on your knees at, at one time or another. Um, and some things that are that devastating like that are going to take time to recover from. Um, but ultimately, you've just got to get back up. Well, yeah. Let's get let's get into the book then. So the premise of the book and what what we touched on earlier is there's there's no pulling any punches here. We mentioned off air about about my interpretation of what comparison normally is, and comparison normally is where I compare myself much more handsome, better better off. Uh, got. There is no one more handsome than you, Thank Tony. You. What are you talking Thank about? Thank you very much. Uh, you can come on again. Um, and, and you make this comparison and then you, you end up, you know, the whole compare and despair thing happens because your life seems not so successful as what you see on Instagram, for example. But the book, for me, did the total opposite. This book took me to a place where I was actually very, very grateful, similar to what you were saying, yes. because... Some of the things that went that you've wrote about in this book, and the one story that sticks with me is the Immaculate story. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce a surname. Immaculate Ilibagiza. Yeah. That story there, I was I read that. I was lying in bed one night and I was reading it at the over Christmas, and I couldn't put that down. That is that is a tough story. So then I started to compare, similar to what mm. you were just saying there, my upbringing in the UK in Manchester in the 80s, thinking at the time, maybe thinking that was relatively uh, relatively tough yeah. upbringing, yeah. And in comparison yeah. to this, it's the total, <laughs> it's like, it's, child's it's total luxury. Um, it's, yeah, it's like the, you, you're, you're growing up in Manchester is like them, it's like Disneyland <laughs> to them. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really <laughs> go that far, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he was but this story around, around the macula Gazari, I think her name is I'm going to get yeah. this right at some point no, is, that is a tough story like mm, that, horrendous give us a you, you, you'll tell the story better so give me a little overview of why that story <laughs> made it into the book because 
it focuses quite heavily on that story. There's the Stephen Hawkins one as well. And mm. what, why that story? Yeah. Well, I mean, I read her book and it was a fantastic book. It was a, a New York Times bestselling book. And uh, and and I, I started reading it. I couldn't put it down. You know, it's, it was an amazing book. It's not as good as Man the Fuck Up, but it's just really good. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, it is a fantastic book. And um, it was just, you know, one minute, you you know, you've got your nice life. You know, she's she's trying to get into college and stuff like that. Everything is going Good for her, relatively good. I mean, she's part of the Tutsis. There's Tutsis and Hutus tribes in uh, Rwanda. But so she was discriminated against, you know, a bit because she was a Tutsi, which is like a ethnic minority. And the Hutus were getting into colleges easier and stuff like that. But she persevered. She, and then she got into a very successful college and university and stuff. And then uh, like a genocide started happening. And then all of the Hutus, and many of them were her friends and neighbours, um, started uh, killing the Tutsis. So she had to hide in the bathroom uh, with, was it three or four other people, for quite some time. Uh, for, was it weeks, yeah. months, a couple of months, or I'll have to read it again. But um, horrendous time. And, I mean, while they were in the bathroom hiding, uh, the... the her neighbours were going around who sh who were just normal people before all this. Um, and they were going around hacking uh, her friends to death with, like, machetes. So, I mean, you can't even imagine it, can you? you know, your neighbours, like, oh, I'm, my, my lovely neighbours turned on me now. But that, again, I mean, that is the power of the media. They had the radio to listen to. The Hutu um, leaders were saying the Tutsis are scum and stuff like that. And we've got to cleanse this place of all of the Tutsis. Um, they're like rats. And um, and there we go. And there's another example. That's just a great example of certain media stuff. Um, but they became brainwashed with that. And uh, sadly, she lost most of her family through that. And then when you when you read something like that and you just think to yourself, oh, my God, you know, I'm. You know, I've got a, I've got a leg injury now, or you know, or my girlfriend's I'm having problems with relationships, or whatever it is. Well, you re if you read Man the Fuck Up, it's almost I would go as far as to say it's almost impossible to feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> you have to be really, how can I say? It? You'd have to be really almost selfish and into yourself, obsessively into yourself to to not. To read that and just to think, oh yeah, well, you know, I've still got it really bad. <laughs> you know, I just people like that, they just need to be bitch slapped. Do you know what I mean? Wake up. You shake them, wake up, man, wake up. Do you know what I mean? What are you talking about? So yeah, we're we're incredibly lucky. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly how that that's that short story in there made me feel, is that you know, sometimes I think maybe we need a little dose of that reality check when we're, you know, when, listen, people have, some people have got it bad, right? And, and I, I don't regard myself as one of those people. I find myself in a very privileged situation. I've got a young, healthy family. Um, all of, you know, I've got That's an it. eldest boy who's now at university. I've got an amazing job. Um, you know, 
I think you said earlier, you know, you have to work for these things and you also have to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And some of that is also um, definitely true with with my circumstances. Yeah. But when I read about this young girl, I think it's the things that she then goes on to do afterwards because you you could be forgiven for thinking she might not do much after that, considering the ordeals that she's been through. But she... <laughs> yeah, and she went on to become a, a best-selling author, a, an ambassador for the United Nations. She didn't sit on her hands saying, oh, this is so terrible, and complain to everybody, you know, about stuff. You know, and she had every right to do that. Without a doubt. You know, her more, than, her more than just about anybody you've ever come across. You know, her brother's hacked to death, her mother killed, her father murdered... Um, and a lot of their friends, and just all just horrendous stuff, horrendous. And uh, she was like, I, I love it, I love the story. And my mum is, you know, it talks about my my own mum in there, you know, my my biological mum. I mean, she she took her life when I was a baby, and um, for some people, that'll really affect them through their life. When and I talked in the book about there's, there's a guy I know, and even though he was a baby when his dad did it, it sort of um, took his life. He, it, it's affected him mentally, you know. Or is that is it my fault? Or and I was just never like that. You know what? You got to take responsibility for your own life, your own actions. So you can't you can't put that you can't put that weight on you, you know. And my birth mum, my my sorry, my auntie who brought, then brought me up, she is. As it says in the book, I mean, she she lost two children. She went bankrupt. She lost her mother. She lost her father. She lost her husband. She had cancer, and then she just says to me, "I said, I said, Mum, how do you get? How do you? Because I call him Mum. How, how do you? How do you uh, handle all this?" She goes, "You just have to. <laughs> She's just old school. She's like, you just got to get it's on with it. They're a tough no wimp. Oh yeah, man, the fuck up. They're she does. Up. You know. So in the book. Uh, just before chapter seven, um, it's one of my favourite quotes. There's a number of quotes throughout the book, but this one, I absolutely loved it, and I was straight on around. Um, and I just feel like yeah. this quote sums up a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, and it says, although the world is full of suffering, it's also full of overcoming it, and that's a quote from Helen Keller. And I just... I fell in love with that quote when I read the book um, because we concentrate on the former and not the latter. And when you actually look at all these people and you look at Immaculate's story and also when you look at the mm. Stephen Hawking story that you reference throughout Chapter 7, that is that, is that all over. Yeah. Well, th that, that was it. And I mean... Um... Yeah, Helen Keller, I mean, you know, after she was deaf and blind, you know, so she said that. And, um, you know, the world is uh, full, in, uh, full of suffering, but it's also full of overcoming it. Now, there's a person with a lot of challenges, you know, out of the gate, there's a lot of challenges straight away. If your hearing's taken away from you, that's that's a problem. If your eyesight's taken away from you, you know, 
there's a lot of things that I would rather go through, you know. Oh, you know, lose all my money. I'll take that any day of the week to, in, compared to going blind. Um, <laughs> you know, so being locked down, not a problem. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, yeah. You, this, you certainly do that very well. You, you gave me a, a, a dose, like a dose of reality. Um, and by the title and by the stories that are in there, I had to give myself a little shake at certain points and say, come on, mate. You know, when you think you've got it tough, when you think you've got it really tough, there's people out there that can make that look like, in your words, like Disneyland. Um, and I think the yeah. story about Stephen Hawkins ends with another quote, which I love this one as well. I'm a bit of a quote person. I don't have the attention span oh, yeah, for much more than the quote. So um, however difficult yeah. life may seem, just don't give up. And that, so, please go on, just going to say something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Hawking, you know, one day the world is his oyster. He's out, out there at, uh, you know, in Cambridge, I believe. And, and, you know, everything is going right for him. And uh, one day he falls over and, and, and uh, you know, everything goes wrong for him. I mean, he can't even move. And he's actually done better with relationships than I have. And I've got all my faculties. <laughs> <laughs> But he was someone. No, I think it's fantastic, you know. So he's someone that uh, he just didn't give up. He was just what they only gave him, you know, less than a couple of years to live, you know, when he was first diagnosed with that. And he was like, no, I'm going to live longer. And he he found a purpose to live. And I mean, again, I would I would rather. I, there's a lot of things I'd rather go through than what he went through, you know, just to sit there and you know i know we can all have a laugh at the electronic voice and things like that but it's um what a tremendously tough individual you know so when people are like oh, you know i really need to get out of lockdown or you know i wish i could go on holiday and the, oh, it's really hard because i can't go to you know go shopping properly don't worry about it if you would rather be living now than in 1941, probably, you know, in World War II, I'd take lockdown any day, any day. So, uh, and I think most of us would as well, you know, we do, when we say about a lot of luck, and I, I have also heard a lot of successful people saying, no, you make your own luck, your own luck, your own luck. No, that's the way it is. And I'm just like, well, if you were born in like the First World War, you'd be going over the top of a trench, mate. So you were born at the right time. And and that's that's where people stop being grateful. Oh, they've 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 done everything themselves. And they don't give credit to what the universe has already given to them. You know, it's all about them. I love that so, phrase. What the universe has already given you. It's given it's given us, hasn't it, a different start to what it gave other people. And if you can, and if you can oh, think about it at oh. a higher level and remove yourself from the from the lower end of it, where it's just about me personally, that is really powerful. Yeah. What you just said there about 
the gift that the universe has already given us was to be born oh. in a period where our life isn't in the danger that it would have been if I was born, like you say, in 1941. Absolutely. And, you know, if you if you took a lot of people out of this era and stuck them back into the 80s, you know, where there's no smartphones and stuff, there would be, there would just probably be mass suicides, mate. There's, there's a... <laughs> If if people couldn't take pictures of themselves on the phone, I can't even imagine how they would handle being got in a time machine going back to the 1980s. There weren't a lot going on in the 80s, mate. That was for sure. So, but, you um, know what? The thing about the 80s, we we were lucky because we had music and we had sticks yeah. and we had wood in some places, and you could you we had marbles. No, no. you know, we had a marble. We didn't care. You never, you never thought you were missing out. And you hit a really good point earlier on in the the podcast. You were saying often people will compare themselves to somebody else who looks like they've got it better off. Now they're gonna they're gonna compare themselves to David Beckham or Brad Pitt or Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever it is. You know, because the you know, it's a lot of the perception is, oh, well, money will get rid of all your problems. You definitely need money to obviously live and survive, and it's much easier to have a better life with money than without, for sure. But, uh, yeah, you know, maybe you're not, maybe you and I aren't part of the 0.0000001% that have got billions and are super happy and has got a phenomenal relationship and is super fit and, and is super healthy. But, you know, there's, there's a lot to be grateful for. And even when we look at some people with an amazing life, they still have challenges. Yeah. And it says that in the book. I don't care who you are. You are going to have challenges. You might be worth $150 billion. You're going to have a lot of challenges. Yeah. <laughs> I want to just touch on that last chapter um, about the no excuses part. The, the final bit really is the bit where it, it finally hits home and says there's no place for these excuses. Um, you just shouldn't make them. How do I become a no excuses type of person if I am like that. Um, if you were sitting with me to make to help me change to that type of lifestyle, how, how would we start? How would we do it? Well, I mean, how, how you really start is the, the whole process, which some people, a lot of people, especially if you've been into personal development for a while, you will know most of the paths to go. You know, you will know you will know what we touched on before about getting around the right people, having that right core of people. Then it's setting your goals and then it's being persistent. And then it is, you know, you've got to be careful what you're doing with your time. Have you spent the last four years watching the news and, and for, you know, two, three times a day when you really could probably be making a, a better life for your family by contributing, putting your time somewhere else there's certain things we can't change you know so and a lot of a lot of life is is down to us there's a lot of unfortunate things that happen um 
and it's very tragic things that happen. But ultimately, just don't take excuses off yourself, you know, and uh, just man the fuck up and get on with it. <laughs> what a brilliant way to close the, the podcast. Man the fuck up and get on with it, as said by Mike Llewellyn, the author of Man the Fuck Up, and a number of other books. And I am excited for the new book coming out as well, mate. If you want to plug that, here is your chance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the next book is called Rhino Skin, and you can imagine what that's about. That's going to be next level, isn't it? it? Well, Rhino Skin is, uh, again, it's it's, uh, it's a powerful book. It's, you you know, you have to have thick skin in in this world, and there's there's, there's too many people just, they just complain and complain, oh, well, so-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so that said that. That's life. This is what some people, some humans can be absolutely ruthless and you've just got to get a grip of your shit and get on with it. You've got to understand it. And and when when people are just like, this isn't fair, that's not fair. You know, your life, if you if you were like that in your life, then your life's probably going to get worse. <laughs> if you're just if you're just complaining all the time, it's never going to get better. So um, you've got to you've got to grow a thick rhino skin and uh, get on with it. And I go into detail about how to do that in the Well, book. I'm looking forward to it, mate. When, when, can we, when can we start to see that be released? I'd say, um, God, I can't think of the date now, but this, uh, within the next four weeks, so whatever the date is now. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what the date is. Um, March. Yeah, so, yeah, there we go. I mean, it, it'll be out sometime in awesome. April. I can't wait to get my hands on it, mate. Other than the book that's coming out, uh, what's next for you? What's next for Mike Llewellyn? Uh, yeah, it's just uh, carrying on with more books, really. And uh, when we come out of lockdown, I'll probably I'll be going back to doing the theatre shows with my... Mate, Mark, Billy Billingham off the Channel 4 SAS TV show. Uh, so I produce and organise uh, um, speak, his speaking tours around the UK. So he's he's great with speaking and I interview him in the second half and it's a lot of fun. So we'll go back into theatres, touring the country and uh, I'll be working on my books uh, at well, the same time. Well, listen, mate, I'm going to be purchasing that book when it comes out in April. Um, I want to know if my skin has got thinner since I was in the forces because I know rhino skin is a phrase that's used regularly in the forces and it's an expectation to be able to do your job that you've got a thick skin. I wish you all the best when lockdown's finished yeah. on the tours, mate. And if I get an opportunity, I'll be dropping in on one of those. It'd be great to see it. Um, both Billy, Mark, Billy Billingham and Bear Grylls have both left reviews around the man the fuck up. One saying a powerful must read and the other one saying how inspirational you are. Um, I would like to say, Mark, that I'm going to go back to my phrase that I used at the beginning. I genuinely don't think you or your books are for everybody. Um, There's a certain style that you have. But what I would say about that style is hard to ignore. It's hard not to listen and it's hard not to take notice of the style that you use, not only in your reading, but also tonight whilst we've had the chance to spend some time together, yeah. um, and Well, I've got another book. No, go on. Go on, sorry. 
Well, the, on on that note, the, 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 you're right. The books aren't for everybody, but there's another book that I'm bringing out later in the year called No Fucks Given. So, you know, that's and that that will also go into depth about, you know, and, and the the subtitle of that, and I haven't come across it, anything quite like it. But the subtitle is uh, I haven't got it in front of me now, and I'm working on so many books, but it's 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 trying to be yourself in a world where people want you to be someone else. And you're always going to go through that. You're always going to get criticism. But ultimately, you've got to find out who you are, what you want to do, the reasons why you want to do it, and just go for it. I, I don't go out of my way to upset people. You know, I, I like to help people. And a lot of the books do help people. So, um, you know, don't worry about critics. They come, Mark, they go. it's been an absolute pleasure on to have you on the podcast this evening. Um, you've been. Um, exactly how I imagined you would be from reading the book um, and the, the, the bits of contact that we've had between um, between us. I just want to say thank you for taking the time out um, on this uh, Monday evening. I'm sure you'll be uh, going grabbing a, a cold beer uh, and putting your feet up for the uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry Oprah Winfrey interview, given the information you've given me this evening. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so enjoy your evening. Um, Don't even get me started I'm not on going to. Um, Mark, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, mate. Thanks for giving up your time. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Tony. It's been an honour and a pleasure. That's Thank you uh, Mike time. Llewellyn. It's never press news. Thank you very much and good night. Mark, thanks.